Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. This week's episode is continuing on from where episode 23 left off. The reason this one is episode 25, not 24, is because something came up that was important enough that I wanted to address it before time had passed and people had forgotten what was said. That's how last week's episode came about, where I responded to claims from Pastor Tim Keller about fundraising for missions and his idea that raising your own support, which has traditionally been called deputation, is an example of systemic racism. Don't worry, I'm not agreeing with him. And if you download last week's episode and listen to it, you will get to hear my response to what he said. So please, if you haven't yet listened to it, listen to last week's episode called Missions and Racism. And speaking of downloading past episodes, like I said a moment ago, this week's episode is part two to the part one in episode 23. So if you haven't listened to episode 23 already, it would be helpful for you to hit pause in this one and then go download that episode and listen to it. The two-part series I did on Christians and Riches with episodes 21 and 22 could more or less be listened to in either order, but that isn't the case with this two-part series. You really need to listen to the first one before the second one. In this mini-series, we are looking at the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, also called the parable of the day laborers. Last time I walked through the passage and talked about risk and reward, particularly as it pertains to investments and labor. This time we are not walking through the passage to explain it in its original context, because we did that last time, and we are jumping straight into the ideas about money and economics and things like that from this parable. That's why it is important that you listen to episode 23 and then listen to this episode. But before we dive into all that, I have a few housekeeping things to take care of. Theana Money is part of Cruciform Ministries' Fill the Earth Network. So go follow Cruciform on all of the social media sites and check out the blog articles at cruciformministries.org. You can even read several articles that I wrote on that blog, such as one walking through the bright hope that Paul gives us in Romans 8, or another comparing post-colonial theory and total depravity. And not just trying to say they're like the same thing, it's comparing and contrasting, emphasis on the contrasting between them. And yes, I know, those are all very different topics from what this podcast addresses. But I try to be good at several different areas to address different needs and keep myself balanced. But anyways, don't forget to like or heart this podcast episode. Follow Theana Money on social media 
and tell your friends about the podcast so that way more people can learn about how the Bible has much to teach us about economics and finances and money. So what do we get to learn about money from this parable today? Last time we looked at risk and reward. Lower risk generally leads to lower reward, and higher risk generally leads to higher reward. Because the higher the risk, the higher the chances of it going badly and there being no reward or even a loss. So therefore, you have to give the incentive of the possibility of a higher reward to counteract that. This week, we are looking at a couple different things. For sure, private property and a response to how some people twist this passage. And maybe some other things if we have enough time. So first, let's look at what this passage teaches about private property. Now, I keep referring to this passage here. Uh, if you skipped uh, episode 23 or if it's been a little bit and you forgot exactly what we were looking at there, we're looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, the parable of the day laborers. Uh, for sake of time, I don't want to reread all 16 verses right now, but I'll just give a quick uh, summary of it. This is a parable Jesus gives about a landowner who in the parable represents God, and he goes out and he hires people at early in the morning to work on his vineyard for the day, and he tells them he will give them a denarius, a typical day's laborer pay. Then three hours later, he hires another group of people because he needed more, and he just tells them he'll pay them what's right. He doesn't tell them for sure what he'll pay them. Then three hours later, he does it again, and three hours later, he does it again, and two hours later, he does it again, so that way you have the last people only working one hour and the first group of people working 12 and then the people in between working their various amounts of hours, 12 minus however many hours into the day he hired them. But everyone got paid the same amount, a denarius, and then the people who worked all day were mad about this and grumbled and complained to him and he told them, well actually that's related to the first point we're going to look at, so I'll tell you what he told them here in a minute because first we are going to look at what this passage teaches about private property and his response to their complaints gets into that so if you're a longtime listener to the podcast or you went back into the backlogs then you know the topic of private property is no stranger to theana money the first episodes i did were a series on private property if you want to learn more about what the bible says about private property, about personal ownership, then go back and listen to episode one, the first full-length episode of the podcast. And listen to the second one that talks about private property and economic principles as well. The passage we are looking at here is one that I didn't cover in that episode, or at least I'm pretty sure I didn't. It's been a while since I recorded it. So to get examples of other passages that talk about private property in scripture, go back and listen to episode one. Now, something interesting about American history and private property that I didn't know when I recorded those first few episodes, but I just learned this a few weeks ago, it's that the Declaration of Independence was originally supposed to refer to life, liberty, and property, not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Apparently, our Christian founding fathers wanted that language in there, but for several reasons. 
primarily that Thomas Jefferson was a deist, and he wasn't the only founding father that was a deist, but he was one of them. So it was because he was a deist, and he had a lot of say in some of the verbiage of the Declaration of Independence, and also that they wanted the document to appeal to European nations, which were by and large secular, so that those nations would support us in the war for independence. So for those reasons, and probably several others, the document referred to the pursuit of happiness instead of property. This was part of an interesting conversation between myself and a few friends a couple weeks ago while we were standing outside of an abortion mill. So just something I learned since I recorded that episode, or those episodes, on private property. Now those tangents, although they were related tangents, those tangents aside, we are looking at this passage and how this passage addresses private property, not how other passages address it. So go back to the first episode of the podcast for that, and not what our founding fathers may or may not have believed about property, and whether or not it is a God-given right. We are looking at Matthew 20, verses 1-16 through 16 today. When the laborers who worked the entire day were upset that they were paid the same amount as those who worked only part of the day, including those who only worked a single hour, they grumbled and complained to the landowner, and he responded in verses 13 through 15. So now we're coming full circle to what I was talking about a minute ago. So let's look at verses 13 through 15. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. And here's verse 15, and this is what I really want to key into. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So that is how the landowner responded to the people grumbling and complaining about how he paid everyone, and that was coming to you out of the Legacy Standard Bible. Now that question he asked in verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? That is a rhetorical question. The landowner, who as I said a moment ago, represents God in this parable, was not asking them if he was able to do what he wanted with his own money. It wasn't a genuine question. The point of the question was that everyone involved knew the answer was yes. It is lawful for him to do what he wishes with his own money. He contracted with those who worked all day to pay them the typical income for a day's labor. To those who worked part of the day, the landowner merely told them that he would pay them what is right. He decided that what was right was to pay them as if they had worked the entire day. It was perfectly lawful for him to do what he wanted with his money, and he decided to be generous with his wealth. The eyes of those who worked the entire day should not be envious. They should not be covetous because the landowner is generous. So, in short, he owned his wealth and was able to do what he wanted with it as long as it did not contradict God's law. And paying people a high income out of your generosity most definitely does not contradict God's law. God's law also doesn't require that you have to pay people 
a higher-than-they-deserve income out of generosity. You have to pay them a fair wage, or at least a wage that their labor deserves, but you have the option to pay them more if you want. But that is an option, not a requirement. And that transitions somewhat smoothly into the main point I wanted to cover in these two episodes on this parable. I want to respond to how some people twist this parable. That makes a smooth transition because some of the people who claim what I'm about to say would also probably be the same ones saying that God's law says that you have to pay them the really high wages that I just talked about. Not that it is an option, but that it is required. So some people might use this passage to argue several things that more or less mean the same thing. Here's one. All the workers were paid the same, so therefore equal wages are biblical. And here's another one. Some workers worked more and some worked less, so therefore from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. So in other words, people may try to make this passage to argue that socialism or even communism are biblical concepts, but that is most definitely not what this passage is teaching. So let's look closer at those claims and this passage. One of the arguments I just brought up said that some workers spent more hours in the vineyard and others spent less, and that this supports the concept of from each according to his ability that we see in the literature of those promoting a controlled economy. However, this parable in no way supports this. This point is even worse than their other point that we are going to look at in a minute. These guys didn't start working halfway through the day because they were only capable of working part of a day, not an entire day. Most likely, they had been out there waiting for someone to hire them since early that morning. Or if that wasn't the case, they weren't out there so early because they had some other job they were tending to and finished that one early. Or perhaps they were just lazy and overslept and... By the time they got to the town square, most of the landowners had already hired laborers for the day. And there could be all kinds of other reasons, but most of those people who worked part of the day had likely been there all day waiting to be hired. Likely, demand for the day laborers was much lower than supply, so not everyone was hired. Or maybe these laborers didn't look quite as good workers, quite as hard workers as the rest of the men there, so they were the last to get hired, like the last kid to get picked for dodgeball in high school. Hey now, don't get offended. I'm a nerd. I'm allowed to make those jokes. Dodgeball is one of the few sports that I was halfway decent at, so I was picked near the end for almost everything. I'm allowed to make jokes like that. So whatever the reason, these men almost certainly worked a partial day for some other reason than that they were only physically capable of working a partial day. So it is not a case of from each according to his ability. Now let's look at the other side of the saying, to each according to his need. 
Well, that doesn't work very well for this parable either, because they were all paid the exact same. Now, I guess you can assume that they were all paid the same because they all had the exact same needs. But at this point, you are putting your interpretive grid onto the text and assuming things that cannot be proven true or proven false so that you can get your chosen conclusion from the text, which is the same as the conclusion you started with and put into the text when you began. Also, if that was the case, what are the chances that the probably dozens of men hired by this landowner all had exactly the same monetary needs? If he were paying them based on their monetary needs, wouldn't some get more and some get less? Not all the same? This is why the other of the two arguments I described a bit ago is a lot better. It's still bad, just not nearly as bad as the one that we just looked at. The other argument was that this passage teaches us that all of these workers were paid the same, so equal wages is a biblical concept. Let's look a bit closer at that. For the sake of simplicity, let's pretend he gave each of them $100, instead of the denarius that is foreign to most of us, myself included, at least as an economic concept. I know the examples I'm about to give here are a bit anachronistic, but they don't take away from the account and actually help us understand it better by putting it in terms we are more familiar with in 21st century America, or 21st century whatever country you are listening to this from. So the first group of workers were paid $100 for 12 hours of work. They made approximately $8.33 per hour. The second group of workers were paid $100 for 9 hours of work. They made $11.11 per hour. The third group of workers were paid $100 for 6 hours of work. They made approximately $16.67 per hour. The fourth group of workers were paid $100 for 3 hours of work. They made approximately $33.33 per hour. The fifth group of workers were paid $100 for one hour of work. They made $100 per hour. As you can see from that, while the total amount of pay that each worker received was the same, the hourly rate each worker received was drastically different. The last groups being 12 times higher than the first groups. So at best, you could say that their salary was the same, but their hourly rates varied quite a bit. Now, don't hear me say that and think, Aha! Jeremy said that their salaries were the same, so my point's true. One, I still said that their hourly rates were quite different. And two, the different hourly rates was the basis of the grumbling and complaints that the first group had with the landowner. And his response to them brings us right back to my first point in this episode. It was his money to do with it what he wanted, and they shouldn't be envious because he was generous. Notice he says he was generous. You are not being generous when you are following the law. If the law tells me to give $100 a month to a local food kitchen to help the poor, 
then it is not generous of me to give the local food kitchen $100 every month. I'm just following the law and doing what I have to do to not get in trouble. But if I do that out of my own free will, not denying Calvinism, by the way, don't start reading. I'm like a 10,000 point Calvinist myself. But if out of my own volition, let's use that word, if out of my own volition, without being compelled to do so, I give $100 to a local food kitchen every month, that is being generous. And by the way, I don't give $100 every month to a local food kitchen, so don't think I'm trying to brag or do my good works before men or otherwise act like a Pharisee here. Although mentioning this on the podcast does remind me of a local Christian nonprofit that helps the homeless that I should give money to. So if anything, this is a confession of mine on my part that I haven't done this and need to start doing it. All that to say, the landowner couldn't refer to himself as generous if he was just doing what God's law told him to do. And if that was the case, the first group wouldn't have grumbled because he would just be doing what the Bible told him to do. And if they grumbled anyways, his rebuke would have been about their rejection of biblical principles, not about he is free to do what he wants with his money, which includes being generous. So we see no explicit command for equal wages in this passage. And in fact, we see implicit statements against them because it is assumed by all, laborers and landowner alike, that they should have been paid according to the portion of the day that they worked and he was being generous by paying everyone as if they had worked a whole day. In short, this passage shows us a free market wage for labor that an employer is allowed to pay above if he wants to to be generous, but doesn't have to. He is perfectly fine to pay exactly the free market wage for whatever job he is hiring someone to do. Now, let's get practical with this. What does this all mean today? Let's give several examples of how this can apply to life today. First, this is practical because we see a biblical teaching on private ownership of your wealth. Sorry, World Economic Forum. Sorry, Great Reset. Owning nothing and being happy by 2030 has no biblical support for it and a lot of biblical support against it. Although the Bible does talk about owning nothing and being happy. What was that called again? Um, oh yeah, it's called slavery. Although even then you probably aren't happy unless you have a good master. And I'll let you think whether or not you think the government is a good master when it comes to slavery. Just, you know, think about that. Think about how oppressive they are in some ways, how oppressive other governments are. And then history of things like slavery and tell me how good of a master you think the federal government would be. So in biblical terms, the World Economic Forum wants us all to be its slaves by 2030. In short, private ownership is important. We are Americans. We are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and property. Another practical element from this episode is that we need to work hard to provide for our families. How did I get that from this? 
Well, I got that because passages elsewhere in Scripture teach, either explicitly or implicitly, that men are to care for their families. And while I welcome women to listen to this podcast, I'm assuming that most people listening to it are men. If you are a woman listening to this, then thank you and please tell other women about it. But men are to be responsible to provide for their families, and this passage gives us an example of a good employer paying his employees well. He had the right to pay them a fair wage, but he paid those who worked only part of the day a generous wage, beyond what they had earned, though he did not have to do so. Men, you should work to provide for your family and not presume on the generosity of your employer to give you a higher wage than you earned. If that happens, if your worker gives you a bonus or a raise that you didn't earn, he just gives you a raise out of the kindness of his heart, then be thankful for the extra income. Praise God for the extra income. Use the extra income well. Don't squander it. But don't presume on the extra income coming. Work hard so that you can provide for your family at a fair market value for your labor and not try to get by the easy way and make them dependent on the generosity of your employer to give you more than you technically earned. That may mean spending some time studying and practicing new skills to earn a higher income. Or it may mean starting your own business so that you get 100% of the income you provide, whereas you only get a portion of the income you provide to your company if you are working for someone else. Which isn't wrong. It's not unfair. If that were the case, the company would only break even or even run at a loss by hiring you, which they can't do if they want to stay in business very long. And the only time they'll hire someone that just breaks even or is at a loss if they're forced to do so, like by some sort of government quota, or in the case of an aspect of the company that is a dead cost, but even then that's just a cost of doing business. So it just makes the other income-producing things possible. Also, if you own your own business, there are a lot of other benefits. Being able to claim more things on your taxes and get a higher tax return is one. Another is being able to avoid government mandates that are forced on large businesses. So as one last note, as I'm about to wrap up, I want to make a point that Gary North brought up in his economic commentary on this portion of scripture. Since this parable represents God's choosing of the elect throughout different points of world history or their individual lifespans, there is no second day of the harvest. Therefore, there can be no laborer who shows up halfway through the next day hoping to only work half a day and still get paid for a full day. That is one point where this parable falls in its analogy. There is no second day when the first day represents the history of redemption in this world because the day after that is eternity where every human is already under God's wrath in the lake of fire or in peace with him in his eternal kingdom. And now I want to close with this quote from Gary North from that same economic commentary. This parable teaches that the authority of the owner over the use of his property is analogous to the authority of God over the terms of salvation. This parable 
is a, therefore, stumbling block for every defender of socialism, communism, fascism, and the Keynesian economy. This parable sets forth a judicial principle of individual ownership and contract labor that leads to an inescapable conclusion. The modern welfare state is biblically illegitimate. Critics of biblical economics who argue that the Old Testament may have laid down laws that will produce a free market economy, but the New Testament does not, have steadfastly refused to comment on this parable. So that was this week's episode of the podcast, and I hope you all enjoyed it. I love doing these episodes that dive into scripture and pull applications from it, rather than only diving into economics. Not that economics by itself is bad, I still love that, but I love economics that comes from walking through a passage of scripture way more. And I hope you all do as well. So if you do, please comment on the post sharing this episode or send me a PM on Instagram or one of the other social media sites too. Let me know that you want more episodes like this and I will be glad to deliver them. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. Satisfies me, your law is sweet, oh you.